0: Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Dario Lonares. and down the line, it's a big welcome back to Neil Fox.
1: How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, thank you. Hello, it's really, really good to be back. I'm delighted to be back.
0: Yeah, it's good to it's good to have you back. Um, I was just I'm just wondering whether I can see some kind of emotional tears coming down there. And I just asked if Neil's nervous, and uh, yeah, I mean, you said you were. Is it is it that much kind of a Uh, you know, an odd experience coming back or just, oh yeah, can I still do this kind of thing?
1: Bit of both. Yeah. You know, certainly will the old muscles still work? Um, (laughs) Will there be any new muscles that I haven't yet flexed? But yeah, just it's been, and we will talk about this on the bonus episode, uh, which I'll be around for. I've been a listener. I've been a listener to the podcast and I've really loved it. So coming back in, feels it feels a little odd having sort of had that different perspective on it but I have been really excited to to come back and uh, yeah this was this was something that when when we talked about me taking a break this was one that we sort of said yeah that we'd like to like to reunite for uh, during the season
0: yeah so just as as a heads up I think me and Neil are going to talk a little bit more in detail on the bonus about him not being here and him listening to the podcast and his thoughts and some thoughts from me about him not being here and what it's like producing the show and and some of the i'm not going to say positives and negatives because it's all positives but that sense of what it becomes when you're you when you are driving it just from one perspective rather than it being always a dialectic and a friendship that drives the conversation as a starting point it's really is a an entirely different kind of experience from a from a podcast perspective and and almost a kind of uh, you know a, a film appreciation
1: perspective as well Interesting. Yeah. Now I'm looking forward to talking to you about that um, and hearing your yeah your kind of what your lessons learned really in terms of the sort the, of the flying solo with it. You know. Um, but just as a as a note before, because obviously some of the people some people might not listen to the bonus, which but I, I did want to thank the amazing guests that you've had on, sort of leading those episodes with you, Catherine, um, Savina, James, anyone else I've forgotten off the top of my head. But you know, it's been really. Yeah just really appreciated for people to sort of come in and and uh, and sort of and do the hosting of the events and the episodes so yeah from from my point of view I just wanted to say thank you for for those for those folks for stepping in and doing such a fantastic job
0: Cool absolutely yeah and you know we've said it a million times it's like people coming on essentially for free you're know, not to forget as well Mary and Sarah I must mention them as well of course Sorry yes <laughs> Mary and Sarah as well yeah yeah, just just having people come on really out of the goodness of their heart, and you know, hopefully because they like us and they like the show, is is always great. I mean, maybe we can just quickly chat chat about this, you know, and get into it more on the podcast. But as a as a flavor before people hit the bonus, you know, are you you know are you feeling good? Are you feeling refreshed? Was it sort of you know allowed allowed a bit of a decompression time? Because it's kind of like you know we discussed one either of us sort of taking breaks at various points you know
1: yeah it's been it's been great to be honest like not I mean I've I've really missed doing it it has reframed my relationship to it in terms of my my work life and my artistic and creative life certainly you know I mean, not massively but it's sort of crystallized I think a lot of things that I, was, that I was feeling about it but I really needed the headspace and I do feel I I feel much better for it Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back next season. And yeah, I'm a little bit—I have kind of nervous feelings about where I would be if I hadn't taken this sabbatical. So I am really grateful for you and your support in terms of having that conversation about you know taking a little bit of time out. And I was reluctant to do it for a number of reasons, are probably obvious and not so obvious. But yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for the for the time away to. To just focus on some things which I was just letting slip and and sort of getting a bit out of you know sort of out of my control of really so it's been a really really important period for me so yeah I'm really grateful for that and and like I say it's got me excited to to come back and I'm also kind of grateful just again for the opportunity of being able to listen to the cinematologists it's been a really fun experience and a, a really nice reminder of like the the thing that we've created it serves a function in our lives as audiences. As well as people who do it, you know, I, I've certainly never really appreciated that. You know what I get out of it as a listener, even in those conversations and in those events, and that's sort of been really sort of drilled home by just seeing it pop up in my feed and <laughs> and, and and pressing play.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's been an interesting one because I've had a kind of similar experience, but from my side, in terms of that reckoning with how much you can actually do. And there's a couple of things I didn't get around to. There was a big gap before the Irma Vep episode, which we didn't wouldn't usually have, you know, a sort of three week gap. And I was just like, screw it, I haven't got the time. And uh, I, I think also it's sort of crystallized that sense that we do do it for the process rather than the outcome in terms of kind of trying to just build hundreds of thousands of listeners, you know, cause it's just not not that. And just being like really happy with that. And whenever some kind of recognition comes, just taking the good and, and when we when there isn't recognition we just you know we don't know whether anybody's listening half the you know half the time just taking those two things kind of exactly the same yeah oh it's great to have you know people say that either they, they like the show or they want us to do something with them you know but then also if it's just you and me talking about films that's what it was to start with you know and and that's that that's what it's always going to be really uh you know unless there's like a major change at some at some point but um you know i think that 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 sort of break time is uh, as as helped us kind of maybe sustain longer, you know, in the long term, rather than sort of thinking, oh, you know, we're just going to wear each other out and, and and you know bore ourselves and make it and it becomes a chore. Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: We'll we'll continue
0: with that in the bonus. So so please come and join us. You know, if you do enjoy the podcast, you get bonus episodes. You get our monthly newsletter. Which is pretty extensive still, even though Neil's not not been writing, writing it this this uh, for this season, but um, it's still pretty extensive um, for sure. And yeah, just to show support for the for, for the show. But onto this this episode, which is yeah, one that just kind of came out of of the surprise that i got which you knew about beforehand that we had been included in the critics the expanded list of critics who'd been invited to contribute to the uh to the Sight and Sound 10 year best films of all time poll so we were going to talk about, you know, obviously we're going to talk about lists because I have to kind of own up to my hypocrisy here before we even get into this conversation. But maybe you could start by sort of talking about that and and how you instigated or forwarded the idea, you know, the possibility that we might get in, be included on this on this new expanded uh, list of critics.
1: Well, yeah, just to just to clarify, I, I, I found out at the same time as you, I think. Right, okay. I was I was not expecting to be asked. I was hoping to be asked. I was hoping that we'd be asked, you know, I don't mean like I, I was hoping that we'd be asked. And then I don't know if you've been, if you've been reading the, um the monthly columns in Sight and Sound that have been building up to the list. So each month they've had a different perspective on the list and what it means and what the film's choices mean and whether the list matters and how it matters. It's been really interesting. And one of the things was about expanding the scope of participants. So when I read that, and it was sort of saying about really wanting to increase a diversity of voices that would would differentiate from previous polls. I thought, oh, we're not gonna be asked <laughs> You know, because to be honest, we're we are in the demographic of the people that have always voted in this poll. So I kind of just put it to the side and I've wanted to vote in this poll since since I started reading really Sight and Sound in the mid to late nineties, you know, and sort of remember the first one i've got that was released which was the 2002 poll and thinking oh one day it'd be great to to vote in that and then yeah got the email uh, inviting and that that's when i sort of reached out to a colleague at sight and sound and said oh we write for sight and sound who were one of the editorial team i said it was was this your doing um thank you so much if it was and that's when i sort of said to you you know did you get an email as well um
0: all right so i i I did i didn't know if there was a, a, a like for example somebody reached out to you, because I know that you had, do have more of a, a history and contacts with Insight and Sound, that somebody said, I, would you guys be interested? They'd like sounded it out first, because I know that they've had, historically, there's, there's certain people who've turned it down for various reasons. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. But, um, you know, that's really yeah. interesting. So it's like Sally Field, somebody out there
1: likes us, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, it was really nice. You know, it was a really nice moment of, you know, yeah, like, we've popped up in sort of sight and sound newsletters a few times, you know, in terms of recommendations. We popped up in places like the Criterion Daily for the same, you know. So kind of know that people are aware of what you do, but it felt like a, a real nice moment of validation to be asked to contribute something. Um, and to be, I think, you know, to be seen as one of the newer critical voices that they were looking to include, you know, a podcast. I think, you know, we're on it because of the podcast, you know, which is great, isn't it? You know, in terms of podcasting being seen as a as a valid critical space was was that, that that felt nice as well in terms of the routine that we'd 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 sort of taken and yeah so it was it was a real thrill I'll be honest to be invited and then the kind of wrestling with oh I had actually not thought that this would be a thing so what what how do I how do I approach it kind of thing which I think we'll talk a bit about when we kind of get to our lists and but but what about you because you sort of said about you mentioned a hypocrisy there so what's your what's your hypocrisy
0: I think I just remember us in the past discussing listing as a process and, and, and kind of... I don't know whether I always had it in my mind we were talking about ranking, which is, you know, there's different forms of lists, of course. And I think more and more, I, I just began to kind of disassociate myself with almost kind of like the BuzzFeed. Let's take up some space. We can't be bothered to write an article, so let's just list stuff. It was almost kind of like against the, the shorthand nature of film criticism it seemed to me that it'd fall into the bracket, almost kind of like press junket interviews where, do you know what, we've got digital space that we need to fill and and, and let's let's just fill it with lists. And, you know, a lot of it was ill thought through. And then again, you know, there was the, the article by Eleanor Gorfinkel against lists, which came out in 2019. And it kind of, it really sort of crystallized, I think, what was almost a sort of intuitive or inherent dislike of, well, you know, even at the end of the year saying, oh, what are your top? top 10 of the year and it's like you know I've liked I might have liked 30 films or or liked 2 films for a year and it's just kind of like it, it's that that formalized taxonomization as part of a machinery of what criticism should be and almost kind of like you know the idea that you're ranking something is reducing it to a league table you know which I think is fine for sports but for art it, it, it brings problems and you know uh, again I'm not the most I'm not the greatest advocate for let's smash up the canon, or smash up the history of film because it's all been hierarchically imposed upon us by you know white male critics and filmmakers. You know, I, I, I have sympathy with that that viewpoint, but I also think that that viewpoint has certain issues with it. So then, you know, how do you do? You, what do you do? Do you turn around and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm above all of this? But actually, I think coming around to sort of talking to you about the notion of curation and the idea that this didn't necessarily have to be. Exclusory, although they have that inherently in them, but they can have a, a really important value For helping people to find things For actually sorting out of the, the sorting out of culture in this era where everything is there and, and and like if you get lists from somebody who you trust and you enjoy their writing Then it becomes a shorthand for entry into, you know, their thought about film And also expanding your own viewing vocabulary really
1: hmm. yeah interesting phrase there that you sort of said like they bring problems and I think that one of the ways that I'm I've always sort of thought of the sight and sound list but certainly these kind of big sweeping poles is that is that they do bring problems and that's a positive thing you know they looking at this list it really feels like it's the temperature of cinephilia in 2022 you know like it's not a definitive statement there's a lot of shifting there's a lot of new stuff in there there's a lot of stuff that's moved around there's a lot of changes in terms of the films of by certain filmmakers that are present it feels like there's a real stepping away from in the lower sort of outside the 10 maybe a stepping away of from the obvious and the previously considered you know there's a lot of shifting but it is it is a moment in time you know it i think it does capture that intention to open it up but it also reflects that the bulk of it is a long-standing idea of what the greats of narrative cinema is and i say narrative cinema because again documentary and experimental are underserved i think and you know surprised about that but if it's seen as an opportunity to discuss the history of cinema as a starting point and where we are in term 22 looking back at that period then i think it serves quite an important function if we take talking about cinema seriously which we kind of have to although it's a complete fool's errand and we do you know and I think the idea that it brings problems is often seen as a negative as opposed to a positive opportunity. Um, I think it's much more interesting to look at lists as as a starting points for difficult conversations rather than definitive catalogues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think they can also be innocent as well. You know, they can be yeah. a coming together. There can be a, di- a discussion of, oh, what have you liked this year? And some people getting together and, and kind of as a form of catching up And we've done that, you know, we've done that a a million times and almost even a sort of, you know, like I said before, a sort of method into deeper appreciation. Uh, But I think what's interesting is that everybody has this caveat now. You know, I was listening to David Thompson on uh, the Silver Screen podcast and he was like quite lighthearted, but thoroughly dismissive calling, you know, it's a game. We all like games and it's a game for highbrow film lovers. And you know he his list was very much just films that he was happy to see again and i think we'll talk about the sort of the ways that we've chosen in a second when well, when we get to our own films and i think and and film comment had a, an issue i mean it was shaped around the the paucity of documentaries on on the list but they they had an episode that was talking about the 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 notion of how lists work for them and i think they were you know across the board demographically the 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 panel they they had on was a much younger Group of film critics, and they were much more appreciative of of lists, even though they, you know, very much highlighted some of the things we've 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 talked about. And I think there's always an aspiration within lists to objectivity and expertise. Can say that these are just my films, but you're contributing to a poll of the greatest films of of all time. So I would have a I would have a completely different list of films that weren't going on that poll that I love. That I, you know, that wasn't. I mean, I'm going to admit that it's like if this, this is a poll that's going on a on a forum in which will be read by the top filmmakers and you know, top. Nobody might, may, nobody might even click onto my list, but that's fine. But you know what I mean? It's contributing to that. So there is a sort of Bourdieu type of, you know, construction of culture. What is the social capital and of and cultural capital? Sorry, of my of my list. What does it tell everybody about me? So there's an element of that I think everybody has to acknowledge really. And in the end of the day is, is it a uh, is it just a highbrow rotten tomatoes? I think you've got to take it with all of the caveats that that are that are there and also the caveats that even even with the expansion of people who are contributing it's still going to come from a certain set of people who understand cinema i think in a certain way i mean i think it's really interesting we'll, we'll read out the the amalgamated top 10 in a second but it's really interesting you know some of the changes that we can talk about still to me are evidence of of a kind of aspiration towards a, a highbrow art house appreciation of film as as kind of modernist art i think
1: yeah i think that's that's true certainly in terms of the number 1 film which I think is a marker of both the well, that's a huge marker of distance travelled. It's a film that barely featured in the last poll and is now number one. You know, which I think speaks to again the, the timing of when when we're at. This is a film that's been in the conversation much more in the last ten years than it has previously. You know, it's a it's a testament to reappraisal and doing that archival curation work of reevaluating and bringing stuff to light. But I think elsewhere there is also evidence of distance left to travel you know which I think again is it can only ever be what it is now I I think what's interesting about this idea of subjectivity is like you know in the top 10 it will be no surprise to know that the likes of Vertigo and Tokyo Story are there if they keep coming up is it objectively are they objectively (laughs) the high points of cinema you know when can we say okay new people different people but everyone keeps coming back to these films you know are these the films we think of when we think of cinema as it at its apex and what's wrong with that what's wrong with having a set of films hopefully expanded hopefully but those films recur for a reason and I don't think it's as simple to say that these are films that people put on there to show that they are highbrow lovers of cinema I think you know I think when you wrestle with the list and you know like you say that it's going to be viewed part of it is wanting to be seen but I I think I hope that everyone would put those films that they thinking I could I stand by this how would I? How would I? How would I argue this? And when I listened to you on John Bleasdale's Writers on Film podcast talking about your list in, a, in terms of how you'd approach it, I was, I was really interested. I was like, "That's a really interesting formation of of how you're putting that list together." And I think what's just to note on that because mine is come from a very, very different place. But what I think is important as well is that the, the list of ten that you put forward is really important as well. It's not just a list of taste or whatever but it's also it's it, as a body of work it represents your relationship to cinema in a very kind of microcosm you know but it's not just about the ranking a lot of films in these lists are not ranked they're just these are my 10 in alphabetical order or whatever and that's how certainly how i thought of it it's like here's 10 films and i wonder what the association and relationship is between them as a 10 that's representative which i think like I say there's so many ways of looking at it and I, what i like about it is it's 100 films from a huge Array of people, so I think there's there's a lot to get into that's fun to pick apart and and sort of be surprised by and, and consider.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, maybe we'll come back to that because I do have some sort of more thoughts on that idea of can we get to the point where they're you know that these films we keep coming back to certain films and therefore it's inarguable that people think they're they're great movies but i i think there'll always be someone who you would who you would actually think is is an astute appreciator of films who would say something that you love is a piece of shit you know what i mean and and, and it's really there's always going to be that level of you know subjective input into something that that you could say 99% of the the wor- you know the the sort of cinephile world thinks is great and also if you look at the if you look at the difference between the critics poll and the filmmakers poll there's a big difference mm. is there. And I think the filmmaker's ball is interesting because it's much more populist, I would say, which, mm. you know, again, it leads me to sort of my Bordurian claim. So, you know, um, can I say that right? Bordurian, yeah. can you say that? I don't know. Um,
1: so. You, you just did, so it's that's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm just interrupting the podcast for a second. To give an acknowledgement and thanks to sight and sound for giving us early access to the list particularly the publicist chris lawrence and also the managing editor of sight and sound isabel stevens you can hear my discussion with isabel on the organization and publication of the list some of the obvious headlines that have come out of it and her own top 10 list on part two of the podcast which is coming out very soon also on part two, I catch up with friend of the podcast Savina Petkova about her selections and and her criteria for deciding them. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining our Patreon membership. For as little as £2 a month, you get access to our monthly newsletters and all of our bonus content. But now, on with the show.
1: So, do you want to um, just read us through the top 10? Sure, yes. Um, so, I'm going to do it in reverse order in classic list um, fashion. Uh, it, at 10, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, Singing no, in no, the Rain. No, no, no. Go on. <laughs> yes. Sorry. On. Uh, number 10 is Singing in the Rain, Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly. Number 9, Man with a Movie Camera, Zhiga uh, Vertov. Number 8, Mulholland Drive, David Lynch. Number seven, Beau Travai, Claire Denis. Number six, 2001, Stanley Kubrick. Number five, In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai. Number four, Tokyo Story, Ozu Yasuhiro. Number three, Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. Not Joseph Benkovitz. <laughs> number two, Vertigo, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And number one, Jean Dielman, 23, Key de Commerce, 1080, Bruxelles by Chantal Ackerman which was a huge shift and big surprise at number one.
0: So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about, we've got to talk about that to to start with. So we'll just call it Jean Dillman, Jean Dillman. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, From now on. Um, So that went from 36 to number one, which is a massive, massive jump. And again, it's got to attest to, like I said, the expanded... Um, list of critics who were invited in, and the and the and the possibly the demographic. And I and honestly, I don't want to say agenda with any sort of negative intent, but the kind of um, clearly the sense of regard that that film is held within that demographic that wasn't represented by you know probably male critics in the same way.
1: Certainly not historically, yeah. I think that's a I think it's it's a it's a clear example of that. Um, and that is like you say not not a negative, you know. Uh, it definitely sits in that strong, modernist, sort of aesthetic, very highbrow sort of bracket that you sort of mentioned before. Uh, but that is a huge jump, you know, and it, it shows that there obviously always have been people who've considered that film because it's placed, yeah, in the top 40 before, but it's huge to see it at number one. And I think that, you know, I think that there has been a really concerted effort in terms of giving credit to, to that film I think because it has been talked about so much it just has recurred and recurred and recurred in the last decade as such a significant piece of work yeah and it's kind of it's kind of thrilling to see it there you know it's just because it feels it feels like a big surprise you know I think it's a film that i certainly expected to see place higher probably top 10 I thought Beau Travai would be in the top 10 as well but to see it at number one it feels like okay this is you know a lot of people have a lot of people have voted highly to put it there which I think is is significant. Yeah, I mean, it is.
0: A, it's actually a film that I have shown clips of to discuss what modernism is. It's it's just a great text for that in terms of in terms of teaching and why it's made in the way that it is. And I suppose one of the again, if if I was discussing this in terms of what are we considering a great film? I think it's one of those movies that people have claimed that it re—it it has its own language of cinema or it, it's a moment in which the language of cinema has changed. Something has been made by a filmmaker, by Ackerman, that is outside of the requirements, say, of, you know, for, for want of a better word, the, a, a more patriarchal aesthetic, right? But it's interesting, I think, that that particular film... And again, we... I, we can have this argument about whether in an objective sense it becomes artistically, it is artistically more innovative or doing things in, in ways that are so profoundly new and interesting and incisive. Say for example, more than something like Clio five to seven. And I, and the reason I mentioned that is because, you know, the, the, to be honest in the, in, in sort of popular cinephile discourse i think agnes varda has gone through a you know a massive reappraisal in in recent years Ackerman has gone through the same but it doesn't it, i mean to me it hasn't registered in the same in the same way but clearly that has gone on within the filmmakers who have been and, and again it's difficult to know whether how much of that are, are people have gone to the, of, of who have voted on this list in the past have come to that movie and reappraised it and how much it is just a case of new people coming in saying, hey, hang on a minute, this is the the film of cinematic innovation or, you know, whatever you
1: want to call it. But it's also, it's the film of Ackerman, isn't it? I think it's the yeah. difference, one of the differences between Ackerman and, and Varda is that, you know, Jean Dillman is the film that, Always, well, not always is most commonly discussed when talking about Ackerman and talking about that particular type of filmmaking, that particular period of of of, of filmmaking. Whereas I think, and that's the thing is when you when you're polling 1600 people, most people are going to mention Avada, but it's going to be one of 15, 20 films, you know. Again, so which, and I know that there is another another Ackerman that I think um, that that is in the list as well. So it's not like it's. I'm not saying it's her only film, but it certainly is the most prominent film that she made and it's certainly the most sort of highly discussed film that she's made you know again so I think it's those things again are are in a way that like you look at you know Bo is has become and we talked about this when we talked about Claire Denis with Felicity G you know A few years ago you know that's emerged as the film that everyone regards as her masterpiece whether it's the film you would pick you know but i think and i think with a lot of these films you can sort of see that they have emerged as the representative films of filmmakers in in certain ways and i think Jean dillman certainly is that for for ackerman
0: i agree with that and i think another interesting case though in in that regard and i think that it's within the same sort of ballpark of considering a film that is trying to be made outside of a of a masculinist language which is daughters of the dust julie dash's film yeah. which i remember seeing and was completely kind of bowled over by the by just how different it was and you know in in form and its content really and there was a recognition from me that this is not intentionally operating outside of what an expectation of a you know of a white male viewer would would be and i think that that with a different demographic that may be again even more diverse in a post-colonial sense you may get a higher position for daughters in the dust which i think is at um 62 on the list because i think that that's in that kind of inventing its own language category the same as jean Dielman*.
1: yeah i would absolutely agree with that and i think that what is exciting about the 10 is that i think you could make a case for all of them all of the 10 films pushing cinema into different direction than it had previously been in you know in in a, in big or small ways you know um you know they're all doing something i think really significant with film language that that stands out you know as opposed to just being a really i think you know a really solid um telling of a story with kind of you know high level aesthetic quality you know i'm thinking of a film like the godfather which has now sort of slipped out of the the 10 you know which is a really good story well told but it formally it's not like singing in the rain or My Holland Drive or In the Mood for Love, you know. There's there is there is a more classicist aesthetic, and I think that even the big hitter films that remain in the, you know, I'm thinking of Citizen Kane and Vertigo particularly and 2001, they retain an aesthetic and formal daring that still feels like it's pushing at the boundaries of what narrative cinema can do. Which I think is that's that's nice to see more modern films in that mix that's that feel like they fit in that if we if if that's the criteria that i've just you know plucked out the air that's a that's a conversation which i think they 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 stand up to certainly beau trevi and marholland drive and in the mood for love feel like they're doing similar things in their own way
0: what do you make of the the number and and the the films that are sort of more contemporary and and where they've kind of entered in on the list i mean i suppose the other big jumper is in the mood for love which you know I, not to give anything away, you, you, you won't hear any arguments from from me about that's for sure. Um, but I'm, interesting that that one is slightly above Mulholland Drive because the if you remember the BBC poll had Mul, Mulholland Drive at number one, but that was was that just the 21st century? I think I can't remember that the, um, what the criteria of that. But um, interesting that interesting that that in the mood for love has has got such a high position. I mean that that's quite. Again, that's another interesting to 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 think about why that that film, particularly which I love to death as as you do, is obviously this time around has has been given that that place.
1: Yeah, I kind of place it. In, I mean, yeah, it's nice to see it so high. Um, for me, it's kind of like it fulfills a similar function in the ten to Singing in the Rain, like pleasurable movies. You know, the pleasure of heartbreak the pleasure of the just the glorious beauty of that film the the world that it creates that you get to spend time in you know cinema as a as a form of pleasure in a way that some of the other films are harder they're harder films and i mean it's a heartbreaking film in the mood for love but it's it's full of love and romance and longing it's got these warm emotions which some of the other films kind of don't have by design the other thing was you know singing in the rain feels like a film that a lot of people think is probably necessary in 2022 you know like it feels like a statement to have a film that is so unabashedly joyful and about cinema and yeah pleasurable in in, in that mix you know in terms of people needing it you know like it's a beautiful film I, I love that movie but it also feels necessary to actually not just dive down into one particular lane of what cinema is doing and to remember its kind of capacity for pleasure
0: no, for sure, it's it is something to to behold, just on the level of you know, immersive, immer- immersing yourself in pleasure, I suppose. Um, but, but but yeah, yeah, the bittersweet element of that though as well. And then you know, if if you go a little bit further down to see, I mean, again, probably another the other sort of headline. Jump! It's not even a jump. This one, it's an entry. So in in at thirty <laughs> is portrait of a lady on fire, which I I mean. Again, I'm just going to give myself some kudos. I I think I actually remember when we talked about this film, I me saying to you, this is the film that in five or however many years will just be will become canonical. And I think that that this is evidence of that. That process has 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 started with that film.
1: And si- and similar to Jean Dillman, it feels like a film that was. Was slated for that position or that that kind of entry as soon as it you know like people staked a flag didn't they like you did but also kind of like female critics feminist critics you know sort of took it as as a as a as a significant moment for you know for for women led cinema and kind of have 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 held on to that and then made a statement with it which is really, again really exciting and and how will that shift in ten years time I think is an interesting one.
0: You know just just a few things to kind of a few more things to kind of pick out I mean just for for the newer films the next one down on the list that is over that is 21st century is moonlight at 64. i have to laugh because i'm just looking at it moonlight is uh, 60 and the next one on the list which is joint 63rd is casablanca which is you know there will be people who look at that and go that's ridiculous you know because you 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 can set up a criteria couldn't you You could very easily say that casablanca is a far more important film in film history than than moonlight I'm not saying it's a better film but in the kind of historical swing of people being interested in movies Casablanca is something that has a historical legacy that that Moonlight doesn't.
1: Yeah, but what it does is it it kind of it it suggests that the the key factors are time and institutionalization. Do you know and I think that's really interesting, you know. It was, I was listening to the Quentin Tarantino's video archives podcast they were talking about this idea about Films having their time and rising and falling, you know, and kind of coming in our favour. But also this idea of an instant classic, which is a kind of misnomer. How are you defining a classic? And often it's time, you know. So seeing something like Moonlight, which is a film I really love in there, and narrowly missed my 10, it was one of the harder films to leave out, you know, is is, is making a statement. Like, Like Portrait of Lady on Fire saying, okay, we think these films are classics. And... we're putting that out there and then almost it starts the discussion that that i think would 10 years much shift. i can see casablanca dropping out in 20 years completely
0: Uh, yeah i i I agree with you you know because
1: i think generationally who cares you know like it's things you know which i think is and again it's like it's a good movie but is it is it doing the things that people are coming to think of cinema as in the same way that yeah other films are which i think is yeah.
0: and the, the, the problem is as well you if you take what i said there and again i wasn't saying it because it's my opinion i was just saying there is a possibility of reading no, no, know, that, yeah. that, that way right. but if you take that to the nth degree you could kind of say well you know number one should be lumiere's first short <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> or, or my bridge should be number yeah. one you know what I mean and then where's the jazz singer the first you know the first sound movie if it was again you know there's arguments about that but for sure yeah you know what I mean yeah. you could pick out these firsts and say well surely that's the the most important movie or should be on a list of but it's not is it it's the greatest movies and then you you've got to kind of like define great in your own terms which is you know again a battle between the subjectivity and the objectivity isn't it
1: yeah i think we'll, we'll move on to that uh, in a moment there's a couple of things i just wanted to note that i picked out which i thought were interesting as well no scorsese in the top 25 which i thought was you know an interesting shift um great poll for female filmmakers in the sense of two women in the top 10 which was great but no no black filmmaker until 24 when spike lee turns up you know so again it kind of i was i was surprised that there wasn't a black filmmaker that featured higher given the you know all of the discussion around the intended direction of travel for the poll i thought that was interesting british movies are massively absent in this list like british cinema is pretty much non-existent there's three that you could actually say british films and that's the third man the red shoes and matter of life and death i think that's that's really interesting in terms of a british mag- film magazine and perceptions of British cinema. I was kind of really surprised about that and then realized I only put one British film in my list anyway, um, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a bit but but those were things which I thought were were, were quite interesting and also yeah, just insert which we will kind of lead into is how many filmmakers how many of the filmmakers were made the list, but not the films that I picked, which I think again goes back to the idea of like you see the shifts because people pick. Different films by filmmakers who, if it was a list of the greatest filmmakers, would probably be higher. But because they're, you know, you split the vote when you vote, you're voting across ten different titles as opposed to one or two that are kind of the the consensus picks. Maybe I think that 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 produces an interesting kind of skewing again, which I think is why Scorsese is probably lower than than you might expect because he's not out of fashion or out of favor. But I think appreciation of his body of work has shifted so that other films than. Taxi driver and Raging Bull, which has dropped off completely. People feel more comfortable saying actually King of Comedy is his best film or or you know or X, Y, and Z. Yeah, just some interesting points
0: for me. I think how just talking to Catherine on the last episode, who is very much, you know, as she says, Team Truffaut rather than Team Goddard, it's it's interesting how Goddard still retains that position of having several films. Um again, we'll come to Alice in a second which might have uh, helped that. Um, interesting, I think, how Antonioni is dropping down. And it's, again, maybe... I mean, interesting, maybe that, that sort of high modernism, the the female filmmakers who who have been recognized in this list have maybe swapping positions with the high modernists that have traditionally been on the list, which is interesting, I think. I mean, I was saying to you just before we were coming on, I, I don't think it's as radical a shift as maybe people were expecting. And therefore, I mean, the elephant in, in the room then is, is you know, the noises have, have, have been made clear about the direction of travel in terms of diversification, right? And I wonder how many... The diversification may be in, in aspects of identity race gender you know age even whatever but are these people still educated in a canonical system right and the intention that therefore is clearly not to diversify the the demographic of expertise i think you know it's not an open call it's not like come and come and vote and we'll we'll you know they they, they clearly want to kind of retain a sense of these are people who we think are worth making a decision on this and therefore, you could argue that even in the, let's say, for example, there may be a move towards, let's just take for example gender. For if if the, there was a move towards, we're gonna make sure we have a lot more female crit- critics. So I don't know how you know if if there's if there's roughly half and half or or, or whatever. Maybe they're, they're not near that. I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean that female filmmakers are across the board going to position going to be positioned in an equal sense in terms of greatness here so that 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 makes you ask a question you've got to go back then and sort of say that's a result of film history and the you know the the sort of system of film history allowing certain people to make to make films so you can't get around that so therefore the percentage of what is considered a great movie is always going to skew male in that in in that sense so is there is it really possible then to have say an agenda that looks to kind of re reclassify the canon in as radical as a way as say some people might like to shoot for? That was a bit rambly, but do do you get what I mean? Do
1: yeah, and it reminds me of Barack Obama's comments about politics on the on his w t. f episode with Mark Maron, where you know he was talking about change. And Marin asked him about like the frustrations of change. And he said, like, it's like turning an oil tanker. You cannot turn an oil tanker 90 degrees. You turn it one degree and over time it turns, you know. And I think that this poll comes at a time where there's an unreasonable expectation that things can be changed overnight. Like they might have added... 600 new voices but that's a thousand voices who voted 10 years ago and you can see that that those voices have they might have opened up a bit but there's a lot of the same recurring things you know and it's just I think it's just going to be you're just going to make yourself sick if you're kind of expecting it to be completely representative of a desire for the canon to be completely reformed and like you say it is still a canon you know people are still considering it in a kind of trying to reckon with film history as a body which has been largely dominated by white men um, or, you know, certainly men. Um, and that that is that is going to take time to shift, you know. I thought it was interesting just to see that it felt like change had started. And, of course, the maddening and an odd thing is that we have to wait a decade to see if that change is, has stuck or if it's a blip or if it's just... This is what it is now. And then 10 years time, it's going to go back or it's going to be completely, you know, like we have no idea and we've got to wait a decade. If we're we're taking this as a bellwether of anything, then we have to wait a decade for the next instalment, which is kind of throws up the lunacy of placing any um, (laughs) merit on it, but also hopefully reconfigures it to think, okay, what's, you could easily tear it apart for a hundred reasons, but you can also find, and I think people will, because that's what people do. But I think you can also see actually inviting those voices in has had a shift like Parasite that's that's just and Get Out amazing to see those in there alongside The General I think Get Out was literally next to Buster Keaton's The General I mean those things are those things are just odd and wonderful to see as well
0: but it goes back to your point though as well at the beginning where you said you know but but are these the films that people come back to yeah you know what I mean and like you can't like the 20th century film is now that's it it's gone we can't go back and and have more female filmmakers in in the 20th century who were kind of recognized and known so if the birth of film is that 100 years you know more or less and you're taking most of the films from that period <laughs> you know what i mean it's going to be male dominated for forever if you're going back to those films if you say well i mean you, you would have to you would have to completely change completely change the notion of what you think expertise in film is in order to radically change the list.
1: Yeah, and also what I think is certainly the case in terms of the project of reappraisal that is going on is that it's trying to scoop up as many filmmakers and as many different films as possible. And something like Jean Dielman has been, as we sort of mentioned before, has been constantly brought up as an exemplar of a film, which has been in the conversation for an increasingly prominent amount of time. That is kind of different to what's going on now where it's like, okay, we need to recognize as many different filmmakers of different backgrounds as possible and as many of their works as possible, which means that people's people's access to those filmmakers that they then might stick with is going to be much, much broader. The films that people consider important is going to be much, much broader, which means that when you come to the poll, it's only going to take five people to put Tokyo Story because 85 people put a different film each, which means all those films get one vote. Because mm-hmm. our, the understanding of film history is expanding at that rate, and people are clinging to those individual. And I think my list is probably guilty of that in some way, <laughs> in terms of being very, very much rooted in, you know, personal choices within filmographies. Those films are never going to be considered because I'm pretty sure that I'm the only person who would vote for that film of that filmmaker kind of thing. But so I think, yeah, those those flaws in terms of the the metrics of any kind of consensus measurement are kind of are baked in and like you say it's they're, they're going to be set for a while i think um and it would just be interesting to see how the ground shifts around those over time i think also just one last thing and whether people will take this list as a as an opportunity as a job, opportunity to build consensus picks for the next one and say okay i want this filmmaker in and everyone thinks this filmmaker's film is the thing so i'm going to say that one to get that filmmaker represented that might be something that happens based on this list maybe
0: It'd be interesting to see Fun Year like you know, they'd probably expand it even further in terms of the critics, you know, I no doubt next time around. But whether with a, if you get enough people there might be clusters emerging like caucuses of Portrait of a Lady on Fire has got its caucus to get it up into the top 10 you know it'd be really interesting if that, that starts to happen you know I don't want to be lobbied the, by,
1: by, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. by critics
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the, the, you know deranged Ozu fans fighting to keep Tokyo Story there you know what I mean don't let it drop down <laughs> um, so yeah let's go on to our, uh, our own list so I mean, this is an interesting one for me because I got to say something that, at the at the risk of offending you, but it's kind of like you know, I, I think that maybe you probably have a more of an idea of what, what might be on my top ten than I have of what's on your top ten, and the reason for that is I think that you say I love a film a lot more than I do. And that, that means it's more difficult to say, oh, well, what does that mean for you? you? I mean, you love it or it's like, what's beyond loving it? You know what I mean? So how does it get from I love it to on yeah. on my top 10? Um, I mean, does that make sense? You know, I don't mean to, like I say, you know, it's not uh, meant to be an offensive comment or anything.
1: No, I didn't take it offensively at all. I think that's <laughs> I think that's spot on. And I think you might, you, you probably think that'll be, that'll be borne out by my list, I think. Um, I think okay. there'll be a few that you know pop up. I, I think that there's a few that you would definitely go for. So I'll be, yeah, be pleased to see them come up.
0: So just before we actually reveal then, I think there's the possibility that there are, um, let me look here, one, possibly two films that we might both have on our list.
1: I don't think, I don't think, there's maybe one. There's maybe one,
0: at most. Okay. So shall I read mine out? Yeah,
1: okay. I think I might surprise you. I think
0: I, okay, yeah, I would say one is probably favorite,
1: oh, this' is tense, isn't it? i've I've been looking forward to this, and I said to you didn't I? i wanted to i wanted to I, it's, I wanted a live reveal, yeah i'm I'm really excited to see uh what you okay, um so yeah, I don't know how we're going to do it. Um, okay, well,
0: in no particular order then i'll shall I do five and then you do five, and then we'll do the second five, yeah. God, we're stringing this out, aren't we, come on yes yeah.
1: so from from the bottom. From the bottom to the top.
0: From the bottom up? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's not in, in any order for me anyway. Okay, okay. all right. Good. So time. five then. Tokyo Story, Ozu. The Hour of the Furnaces, Solanus and Gatino, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott. In the Mood for Love, One Car Y. And Taxi Driver. Well, wow, it's easy
1: Wow. Okay. So my bottom yep. five. And I did I did rank them. Okay. Kind, kind of instinctively. So this is from 10 to 5, to 10 to 6. So 10, Faces, Places, Agnes Varda and JR. 9, Killer of Sheep, Charles Burnett. 8, A New Leaf, Elaine May. 7, A Hard Day's wow. Night, Richard Lester. And okay. 6, Touch of Evil, Orson awesome Welles.
0: Okay, okay. Do you know what? I've never seen Killer of Sheep.
1: Well. That so was
0: That's got to go on. There's there's an admittance.
1: When I did it I actually thought that was on my initial list of films to do a podcast about when we did the initial list. So right. we should we okay. should do that together.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be good.
1: So maybe we should just say a little bit about our Well, you go first
0: in terms of what so are these films essentially that that for you are are you you've kind of put to bed the the idea of objectively greatest films these are just films that that are for you kind of thing
1: mostly mostly but I, i i tried to i tried to pick i tried to ask the question of like what is cinema to me you know what do i think cinema is you know which is obviously highly personal but also i tried to come up with films which i thought were representative of the things i'm interested in cinema doing you know and how cinema engages with certain ideas so that was kind of the driving principle behind the list and that was it was very instinctive so i was kind of like you know i was surprised by what didn't make that that list um what about you so mine was a a kind of a combination of
0: films that within my lifetime and i don't want to say career but but my film education and my film teaching and you know love of films which which essentially started late I would say you know it's I really loved films when I was a kid and everything like that but I think they was just into popular movies really and I didn't really sort of understand films in the way that you're taught to understand films until I went to film university and you know most of them are films that that were discoveries for me about what cinema could be you know, it was doing. It was kind of pushing almost in a new direction. Oh, you thought cinema was that? Well, no, it's actually this as well. You know, and then, and I love them, of course. But then there's that sense of, I think I could, I could, you know, I, 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 I could argue with anyone about why this is a relevant film within film history, and, and not not necessarily the greatest film of all time, but it is valid to say that this has had an imprint on film history in some way. I mean, you know, sort of. Tokyo Story it's you know I mean on that sense that that idea of of building something that's so profoundly powerful from almost seeming like nothing is happening was just it's like at the the end of the first watch of that I just remember thinking how the hell has that just kind of like destroyed me inside when it's just like people sort of sitting around you know on their knees kind of chatting about stuff you know i mean obviously it's not that it's more than that but you know what i mean it's kind of like wow how has that happened and then you know hour of the furnaces was just a film that i just realized ah here are people actually making films to survive or to to ha- make a political statement and and to to say no we're not we're not, weren't interested in this hollywood bullshit you know this 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 film is a is a weapon for me you know that kind of thing Blade Runner is an interesting one because I, I i see it as a i see it as a sort of hourglass, you know, like like say for example, Blade Runner. There's all of sci-fi before Blade Runner, and Blade Runner kind of distills everything of sci-fi, and then everything after Blade Runner gets influenced by Blade Runner. And and I, I was sort of debating about about 2001 or Blade Runner and whether which one of those had more profound impact on me. And, and then sort of in the mood for love. Because you know we've we've talked about that a million times, and Taxi Driver was just one of those movies where you're getting into film. What do you start studying? It's the American New Wave, and I just think it is the it's the the movie of the
1: American New Wave. Lovely, yeah, really beautiful description of Blade Runner there. I, I really like that. I've not seen Hour of the Furnaces, yeah. so that's something I'll have to right, okay. Rectify. There's
0: four hours. You won't get back. <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant as well because it's a vi- it's a video essay and it's great for teaching because mm. you can c- kind of play it and be like, wow, what is going on here? It's amazing. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, okay, you go then for your your next five.
1: My next five uh, at five, uh, the wind will carry us. Abbas Kiarostami. Ah, uh, yes. Number four, Goodbye Dragon Inn. Simon Liang. Three, Punch Drunk Love. Paul Thomas Anderson. Two, Mean Streets. Martin Scorsese. One the apartment billy wilder
0: yeah 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 of course I, I had goodbye dragon in i had the apartment in my mind cool um hard days night i think as well i, I kind of thought of for you
1: that was a weird one because that you know obviously that that comes that comes out of the book work really mm. you know like that's what i thought it's and it's just a film that as i was writing the book i just kept going back to him like this is actually this is everything that i'm, I'm i love about movies and music you know like it's such and i'm not even a huge beatles fan i mean I, I do i like the beatles a lot but you know there's something about that movie i just think it's absolutely wonderful and it just yeah so i was like if I, that's the film that kind of represents that part of me um and i just think it's so so beautifully made so yeah I, that was my sort of music music film rep
0: yeah i mean with the iranian films as well it's like there were so many that were just i mean I, I, thinking about it now it's like should i have had this is not a film in there you know what i mean it's it it, it's just so much there's so many great iranian film films and it's just a sort of yeah it's it i mean it's all to me it's almost as important as a film culture as as france or the united states in its in its own way you know and i just love it when when something comes out and it's oh god that's great stuff um yeah, um, and and the and the apartment. What can you say? It, yeah, I mean, it's that, that uh, th- there's a similar film in my five, my, my last next five that I think hits the same button as the apartment does for you. Um, so, so my five then La Ventura, Antonioni, which is in there basically to spite you for comparing it to Clueless one time. I'll never forgive <laughs> you for that. Um, <laughs> all, Fair, play. All, Fair play. All the President's Men. Alan Jacob Uh Piero Lefou, Goddard, The Hustler, Robert Rosen, and, of course, Holy Motors, Leos Carax. Yeah, so, I
1: mean, you pro- I bet you could have picked picked a lot of that out because I've wanged on about a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, no, I think, but again, it was like, I guess that the main surprise was Hour of the Furnaces, I think, in terms of, you know, yeah, But yeah, yeah. but again, it's all a surprise in terms of like, how are you going to, how are you going to approach it? Yeah, and I don't know if you felt like I did. I was like, oh, you know, it, it, again, it. You just have to accept that it leans a certain way. You know, it leans, it leans American. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah it does. Know, but 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 that you know, it leads male. I'm afraid. Yeah, you know, you know,
0: um, but I, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things. It's like I I didn't they, these are honestly films that 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 I love, and I don't. I just I just don't have that political agenda when i'm when i'm watching or, or when, and and i understand why people do and maybe there's a criticism to be made there of of me to say well you know you're just you know you're sort of uncritically looking at your viewing preferences but you some of that is in, it's
1: just just intuitive it is you know and it is and it is yeah this is a distillation of of a long period of watching films like you say even if we are shifting our our tastes or whatever or our viewing habits you know that that's still going to take time and a lot of this stuff is embedded and you know part of me was like yeah i've wanted to do this for 25 years you know so like i've been waiting to do this so you know i want to be honest about those films that in that period have had the biggest impact on my idea of cinema and just yeah accept that that's it's gonna it's probably it's probably gonna lean a certain way but hopefully people yeah think it's think it's an interesting list any
0: any surprises on mine okay so faces places is a surprise I mean, yeah, I thought it might be. I mean, that's that—that's a film that, that. I mean, I mean, again, if I was being critical, I'd be like, "Why is that in like top ten of all time?"
1: Explain that one to me. That's probably the most personal, and I just found I find it profoundly beautiful about looking back, about collecting a life, about cinema and and looking, taking looking for granted. You know, and like the idea of taking film for granted as a, you know, I find, I just, I think it's so much fun. I love the chemistry between Varda and JR. I love their relationship. And yeah, I just, I find it, I find it a really moving film. It's not an obvious Varda choice, I know. You know, there's probably films that I would argue are quite, quite better, but this one means the most to me. And it also means the most to me in terms of, yeah, sort of think thinking and rethinking cinema and what it is. And it felt like a nice, Sort of bookend, you know, in terms of like what I'm trying, what I, what I think the list sort of says about me and, and what I want from cinema, that sort of mixture of joy and melancholy. Yeah. So it was, that was an odd one. It was, you know, it was kind of one of the first films I thought of and it surprised me that I thought of it. And then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Mm. Yeah.
0: I mean, like, I would have, I would have been less surprised if you'd have had something like Petit Maman, like at 10, mm. just sort of a recent yeah. film that, that maybe represents more of you today. Than when you were younger, do you know what I mean? And does still does all that cinematic yeah. stuff, you know?
1: Well, weirdly, that I think because I, I I didn't write something for every film. I wrote because you, when you're invited to do the poll, you can write about each entry, or you can write a little yeah, summary at the yeah. end. And I just wrote a little summary at the end to try and encapsulate what my list said. And and there I said the film that weirdly hurt the most to not include was then Ramsey's You were never really here. Oh God, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah but something about it just didn't quite sit on the list that I'd put together. Like it felt like a real felt very different to the rest of the list. And, but that was definitely a a recent film that I wanted to, you know, so I kind of smuggled it in, in the summary (laughs) to mention it. But, but you know, again, that, that feels like a film that I've, a recent film that really just keeps coming back into my mind. Um, other, that, you know,
0: my version of that is a ghost story. And, and the other, the other big one really that, 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 I had in and out, and in and out was Jaws, mm. because I just it's it's everything really to me in terms of. I remember once somebody saying to me, "Well, it's just like it's it's a Hitchcock film, really," and I was like, "What does that mean? You know what I mean?" And it was like, "Oh, so I have to go and see. So why is it a Hitchcock film? And then you've got to go watch Hitchcock, and then you've got to understand why." And then like we've had arguments. It's like our our Pacific Rim argument was me saying. Well, if you look at Jaws, you don't see the goddamn thing for an hour. You know, in Pacific Rim, you see it in the first five minutes. It's like, oh, okay, I've seen everything now. I can go home. You know, and there's still two hours to go. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's kind of like that—that sense of it being a perfect film in many ways. Even and like Casablanca, that probably when it was being made, it looked like it was going to be a disaster. And that so that and then obviously you've got everything that comes comes afterwards. And I like the fact that. Yeah, there's Jaws 2 and Jaws 3 and everything like that, but nobody thinks of it as a franchise, I don't think, not in the way that Star Wars is, you know? Everybody just thinks Jaws, Jaws, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting interesting one to have, have missed off.
0: The other one that I think is interesting, that's very interesting there is the Elaine May. Yeah. And again, without without besmirching your choices, it's like, is that a little bit of, it, it is maybe there's an element of, I want to get a female filmmaker in there, or, you know, or you just... You know, please shoot me down if I'm saying that. That, that, like, cause I've considered that. I was like, what is the female made film that I love the most? And I'll get that in the list. So, you know, and it sounds, I'm, I'm admitting it, it's kind of like, but there, there honestly isn't one that I want. There, 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 there are ones in my sort of 20 and 30, but there's not, there's not one that I could honestly sort of say that influenced me in that way. And again, that's probably down to my upbringing, masculinity, and all that kind of stuff. Valid
1: question um no it's to do with comedy i wanted a i wanted a, a you know part of my phrasing balls to the wall comedy you know i love comedy so i and and when i thought of like what do i think is you know just one of the funniest studio comedy you know what's a really really funny studio comedy that i love and that was the first one that popped into my head as a kind of perfect comedy like and i was like i want I want to take comedy seriously in my list and that's just, I just think it's one of the funniest films ever made, you know? And then I had other funny films that came in, but I was like, actually, no, like in terms of like mainstream American comedies, I think it's peerless. And the political aspect in terms of my agenda was having comedy in there. And it was, that was the first one that, 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 that came. Um, it was, you know, it was nice that it was Elaine May, um, you know, and I think that's certainly through through recent reappraisal. You know, it was a film I, I hadn't seen until I think we did it. It's just so funny, you know. And I think again, like part of me wanted to, part of me wanted to to put comedy in there as a, to be taken seriously, and that was that was the that was for me that was the natural that was the natural fit. But I think it's certainly it's certainly valid, and I and I and I think that maybe ten years ago I wouldn't have I would have picked something else. But yeah, the other the other the one that was close was This Is Spinal Tap, but. I felt with a hard day's night, I was kinda of doing I was kinda of doing the you know, I I kinda of covered those bases. So yeah, that was that was the thinking behind that one.
0: I mean again, you know, I'm sure that the you know our listeners are very uh very astute. So they, they can recognise the argument that I'm gonna make here in the fact that if I had a, a comedy on there, it would have been Annie Hall. Yep. And the thing is, did I consciously or subconsciously think, do you know what? I don't need that drama. <laughs> Possibly. You know, if anybody yeah, looks at yeah. my list, you know there's an element to it. It's like you know, or oh, he, here's a guy who's still supporting Woody Allen kind of thing. But to me, it's the it is the you know there's loads of romantic comedies before, but it's that distillation yeah. of the genre, a little bit like Blade Runner does with sci-fi, where you can see everything goes into it, and then everything that comes later can't escape its clutches in terms yeah, of influence sure. you know but then you know that again we're we're all beholden to the the culture that we're in and it's you know it's not it's not the done thing you know and I, I don't i don't think that's that's the only reason i'm happy with my my list but um we can't get away from the fact that these lists are political you know inherently in terms of culturally political and we're, we're everybody's making those decisions i think in in various different ways
1: yeah and what's interesting is that there's no there's no Polanski, there's no Woody Allen, there's no Lars no. Trier. No. I think I think no. I don't, I think it's fair to say Is there any Bertolucci on there? Uh, no, and uh, the the Conformist was very close no. to my list. Um that was really close. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. one that Yeah, that's you know, that a fantastic
0: movie. Um, yeah. All right. So there we are. That's the sight and sound poll. 2022 episode neil it's uh i can't tell you how good it is to uh to have you back on the pod you know it's not the same without you so uh, we're look- looking forward to having you back full time um in january and uh yeah i think it's been a great episode for you for you to come back on and uh really had fun talking about your choices and the, and the list as yeah, a whole same
1: um really yeah really lovely really lovely opportunity to to, to sort of step back to the mic and uh, and sort of spend some time with you yeah i've been looking forward to this and it didn't disappoint and yeah your list is your list is is great um I don't, yeah i'm pleased pleased we waited um and yeah i'm really looking forward to being back in january uh refreshed and, and and ready to go so yeah and thanks just a note on that thanks to people who've reached out as well um quite a few listeners sort of reached out and just you know made sure i was all right which was nice
0: brilliant so please come and join us on the bonus now we're going to talk a little bit about the season as a whole and and neil's listening experience and uh, you'll get a little bit of more raw unedited personal stuff from us so if if any of that floats your boat then uh, it's just two pound a, a month on the uh, patreon with all the added extras that you get for that and yeah we will see you next time there is one more episode i think maybe one or two before before christmas um And the the season sort of closes down and we'll start again in late January. But um, until then, this has been The Cinematologist Podcast. Thanks for listening.